You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. That's how Paul begins his letter to the saints of God in Rome. To Timothy, Paul writes, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First, we give thanks. That's what we learn, at least what we should learn, from the Gospel text. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing through Galilee and Samaria, the region between the two. And as he was going into a city, there in the distance was a group of ten men, ten lepers. And they were crying out for help. Now it's helpful for us uh, to remember this affliction of leprosy, what it meant, what it, what it was, uh, just because we don't see it that much anymore, but it was all, all the time in the ancient world and still in some places today. Leprosy was this nasty sort of skin disease that would uh, you, your body would begin to rot away while you were still alive. And one of, the, one of the problems with leprosy was it would destroy your nerve endings so that you, could, you, you couldn't feel or touch anything. So you could burn your hand or crush your foot or cut your arm and you wouldn't feel the pain of it. In fact, that's probably one of the reasons that the ancient church would use leprosy as a picture of sin. Because our sin, our sickness and sin, is so deep and so profound that we don't even realize how much of a sinner we are. We're so sick that we don't know how sick we are. But the other thing about leprosy was it, how highly contagious it was, which was why there was provision, even there was provision in the law given by God through Moses that the lepers would have to be outside of the city. That they, or, or outside of the camp. They couldn't live with people. They had to be exiled. Now this had to be one of the most difficult things of all. If you can imagine that you come down with leprosy, you see a leprous spot on your hand or your leg or something like this, and you go and you show it to the priest and he says, yes, you are a leper, so now you have to be outside of the city, outside of the camp, and when anybody comes near you, you have to yell out a warning. Unclean, you'd say. Unclean. That's, that's from the law of Moses you'd have to yell that out. Now what this meant is that oftentimes the lepers would, they would gather together uh, in their own little communities, uh, leper colonies, some of these still exist in our day, so where lepers would live together uh, and help take care of each other because they couldn't be around anyone else. And it seems like that's what's going on in our text, that these ten lepers have formed their own little community. They couldn't go into the city, but they could come close. And there they are, and they, they cry out, to Jesus. Now, just as a maybe a little bit of a side note, it's interesting for us to to notice that that some of these lepers were Jewish, and some of them, or at least one of them, was a Samaritan. Now, so just to think about that, remember that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people would never be found together at all. It was, I mean, it was it would make you unclean for, for a Jewish person to eat with a Samaritan person. That when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, his disciples were scandalized because a Jewish person is not even supposed to talk to a Samaritan. And yet here, these the, there was Jews and Samaritans, or at least one Samaritan, and they were they were living together in this group. Now, it's it's something that that their leprosy was able to bridge the gap between the two and bring them together. And I think there's something for us to learn in that. 
Uh, I don't, maybe, and maybe this is a topic for another day, but I think there, there's something similar that happens in the church. Or, I mean, we, we notice it in this life. When trouble or catastrophe or some sort of disaster happens, uh, people come together who normally wouldn't come together. When you, when you need somebody desperately, then, then your, your life becomes much more open to neighbors and to help. And I think there's something like that in the church. I mean, it, the, I mean, can you imagine all of us just getting together to play Parcheesi or something like that? I mean, all of our families, there's nothing that would bring us together naturally except for we all know that we're in desperate need of salvation. And we know where to find it here in the church. So there's something like the, the fellowship of the desperate in these ten lepers and the fellowship of the desperate in the church. But again, that's maybe for another day. But these ten lepers were a church. They had somehow... If you can imagine, they had somehow heard about Jesus. They had heard that He could work miracles. They heard that He could even cleanse leprosy. And so they find their way into shouting distance from Jesus. And, wonderfully, instead of yelling out, unclean, unclean, these lepers yell out, the Kyrie. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, Master, they say. Have mercy on us. They look to Jesus for deliverance. They're looking to Him for help. And Jesus says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, this has to do with the law of Moses. Remember, the priest of the Old Testament could look at you and say, you have leprosy, you have to leave. And to be reauthorized to enter into the camp or enter into the city, to be reauthorized to re-engage in society, you would also have to show yourself to the priest. You'd say, hey, look, here's my leprosy, here's where it was, but now look, it's gone. And the priest would inspect you and he would declare you to be clean. And so you could come back in and live with the people, you could move back, you could go back to work and all that sort of stuff. But now, look, look what Jesus does. Jesus sends them to go to the priest before he heals them. And I think there's something for us to learn here also. I mean, they, can you imagine these ten lepers still have their leprosy? Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, and nothing has changed. And you think that they might sit there and say, but Jesus, look, we still have, we still have leprosy. We still can't, I mean, they won't let us into Jerusalem, much less let us into the temple so that we can show ourselves to the priest. You have to heal us first. That's why we're asking you for healing. And so there is an, you see, there's this implicit promise in the command. When Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, he's implying that as they go, they'll, they'll be healed. And there's a way that these guys have faith. That they, that they trust that word of Jesus, and so they're willing to leave his presence even though they're not yet healed. Now, there's another lesson in this for us as well. Because how often do we pray and the Lord makes us wait for the answer? In fact, I think what most of our lives, most of the time, we find ourselves waiting for an answer to prayer. So these lepers leave the word of Christ waiting for an answer to prayer. So we pray and are waiting. But as they're going, as they start off to Jerusalem, they're healed. And we'll pick up with verse 15 of the text, which says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? 
And here's the main thing. This is the lesson for us. Why the Holy Spirit has this gospel text for us. There were ten healed, but only one returned to give thanks. Now that one, it could be that he returned because he was a Samaritan. I mean, he couldn't have gone into the temple Anyways, there was two things preventing him from seeing the priest, his leprosy and that he was a Samaritan. And so he says, figures to himself, I might as well go back to Jesus. But that is the point of the text. All of these guys should have considered themselves to be like the Samaritans. All of us should consider ourselves in this way. All should return and give thanks to Jesus. And, and, and they should give thanks to him, not only as the man who healed them, but also as God. But only one did. And he gets the blessing from Jesus. Verse 19, the last verse. Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In the Greek, quite, uh, which it's better, it's literally, your faith has saved you. Your faith has brought you salvation. You see, this is more than healing. This leprous Samaritan is more now than a clean man. He is our Christian brother. And Jesus sees the evidence of his faith in his returning to give thanks. Now, that's probably enough for us today. Uh, it's probably, I, I want to talk a lot more in, about Thanksgiving, but if you want to check out from, just give me 30 more seconds to bring the conclusion and then you can check out. But Because this is the point that we want to make. If, that... that that Christians give thanks. Christians are thankful people. That thanksgiving is a fruit of faith. And so we repent of our lack of thanksgiving, and we give thanks to God that He forgives us for all of our sins, and we pray to the Holy Spirit that He would dwell in us and bring forth the fruit of thankfulness. That's what Jesus wants, and it's important to Jesus. It's important to God the Holy Spirit who recorded this text for us so that we would learn this lesson, that we would not neglect giving thanks, but that we would give thanks and we would give thanks first of all, as St. Paul says. And I want to explore that a little bit with four points, four uh, thoughts, I suppose, on thanksgiving. Point one, thanksgiving comes first. We made this point in Romans chapter 1, as Paul, writes, as Paul writes to Timothy, he makes the same point, and, and really every single one of Paul's letters begins with this way, with thanksgiving. The only exception are Galatians and Titus. Every other letter begins. Paul starts by giving thanks, and, and I don't think this is an accident. I mean, you can very easily imagine Paul starting his letters in a very different way than he does. Just imagine, for example, the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians had thought, half of them, that they had missed the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection. The Thessalonians were tempted to think that Paul was a fraud apostle. The Thessalonians were being persecuted, both from the outside and also from the inside, from false teaching. I mean, all these things were going on in Thessalonica, and Paul was worried about them, and yet he begins his letter like this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Or the Thessalonians were even, I mean, the, the Corinthians were even worse. I mean, things in Corinth were an absolute mess. 
there was a, if you remember the situation in Corinth, there was a man in the church who had gotten married to his mother-in-law and was bragging about it because they were free in Christ to do these sorts of things. Families were breaking apart. People were, husbands and wives were leaving each other because they said you shouldn't be married because the resurrection is, is going to be soon. There was those in, in Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection anymore. They, they thought that their spirits would go off and that the body wouldn't be raised. They were fighting all the time in Corinth. They were, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and the rich people who were bringing the bread and the wine wouldn't let the poor people who didn't bring the bread and the wine even participate in the supper. They were fighting about the theology. One was saying, I'm from Paul and I'm from Apollos and I'm from Cephas and I'm from Christ. I mean, you, you can imagine that the, that St. Paul would begin his letter to the Corinthians something like, I tear my hair out every time I remember you. But he doesn't. Listen to how he starts 1 Corinthians. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? He begins with thanksgiving. Astonishing and surprising thanksgiving. And there's something that happens when we also begin with thanksgiving, when we do as St. Paul says to the Romans, that we give thanks first, that when we begin each day with these words, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. That when we start with thanksgiving, we start off now on the right foot. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, I always start things with worry or with fretting, with panic or something like this. You wake up in the morning and you start to remember all the things that you have to do that day. They, they flood in on you and they start to, they start to wear you down. Or you, you start to imagine things and, and think of things. And it's, it's like everything in life is assaulting our giving thanks. We, we're always offering the, off, offering the worship of worry instead of giving thanks. But thanksgiving, uh, in some ways reorients us. It, it starts us off on the right foot. And, and that is to the second point, that thanksgiving requires a turning back. We see it in the, in the text. Remember how the ten lepers left Jesus, and then they were healed, and to give thanks to Jesus, the one leper had to turn back. He had to return to Jesus. He had to turn around. And I think that there's something very profound here. Let me, let me try this on you guys, and you can tell me what you think. Because, because I think that if we're always thinking about what's coming next, we can't give thanks. There's nothing about tomorrow to be thankful for, not yet, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It could be that the Lord Jesus could return tonight, and there's not even a tomorrow to give thanks for. So that as long as we're thinking about tomorrow, as long as we're thinking about what comes next, the only thing that we can have is worry, maybe worry mixed with hope, but we cannot have thanksgiving. The mindset on the future cannot give thanks. It's simply impossible. There's nothing there to give thanks for. That's why Jesus talks about how tomorrow is always full of worry. Remember Jesus says, today has enough things to worry, tomorrow will take care of itself. So that if we're, now, so, so the practical thing here is that if we're going to give thanks, we have to turn around and we have to look at yesterday and today to what was done and to what is. To the things that happened and the things that are happening. 
Now this, I think, is why the Bible will pit thankfulness against worry and anxiety as the opposites of each other. Now, I don't think that we would naturally put those two things as the opposite, but the Scripture does. If you want an antidote to worry, this is it. It's thanksgiving. So Paul writes famously to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you hear that? So be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Put your requests before the face of God and the peace of God that passes all that your mind can do will guard you. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now there's some very, very practical advice for us here. Because I think that we are always thinking about tomorrow and the result is that we're always anxious. But when we remember, when we turn around, when we remember how it was yesterday, when we remember how the Lord brought us safely this far, when we remember the Lord's kindness and His mercy that He's given to us in this life, then and we remember the strength that He uses to keep us up, then we are able to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And His mercy endures forever. Think about the things that the Lord has given to us. We're able to be thankful for them. So, for example, when we wake up in the morning, we look back and at the protection that the Lord gave us through the night. And we say, thank you, my Heavenly Father, that you've kept me this night from all harm and danger. That when we sit down and we see the meal, we thank the Lord that He's set this thing in front of us. When we, when we go about our lives, we see the gifts that the Lord gave to us yesterday, that He's giving to us today, then we are thankful. Which brings us to point three, that thankfulness goes together with faith. Thankfulness goes together with, fa- with faith. And I, and I think at this point, I want to make a distinction between thankfulness and gratitude. Now, this might not be a technical distinction, but if you guys could bear with me, I think it's helpful. Let's make the difference like this, that, that gratitude is directed at the gift but thankfulness is directed to the person who gives the gift. If that difference makes sense. So, for example, if, if one of you were to hand me during Bible class a cup of coffee, I would be grateful for the coffee and thankful to the person who gave it to me. Just, do you see the difference? Now, this difference is very important because there's a lot of talk about gratitude today. You can buy a gratitude journal. In fact, all the people talk about how we should be meditating on gratitude. You should get to the end of the day and you should be grateful for five things in that day and so forth. And that's all right. We can't be grateful. We're grateful that we woke up today, that that we have life, that we have a place to live, that we have some food and family and friends. We have a church to go to. The nine lepers, no doubt, were grateful that they were cleansed. But thanksgiving goes beyond the gift to the giver, to the person who gave the gift. And and this is where faith starts to come in. Because faith starts to look even behind the person who gave the gift and sees behind everything that we have in this life that everything comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God the Father the giver of every good thing. 
Now, there's an amazing part of our text that's easy to miss. When this Samaritan leper came back and gave thanks to Jesus, Jesus says uh, to the disciples about him, was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner. You see, the, this leper came and gave thanks to Jesus, and he says, Jesus says, he gave thanks to God. Now, this is a beautiful text to prove that Jesus is God, and it points to this thing that we're getting at of thanksgiving, that the leper sees past the gift to the one who gives it, to God who gives us every good thing. So we as Christians sit down at the table with a plate full of food, and we see past the food, past the cook, past the farmer and the butcher, past even the field, to the giver of every good gift. And we see that plate of food, and we give thanks to God. You see? The source of every good thing. We recognize that every good thing in this life comes from God. And we thank Him for it. But, and here's point four, the last point. Christian thanksgiving goes even farther. There is a natural thanksgiving that we all teach to the children. Remember that there's two, basic two magic words that every child has to learn, right? Please and thank you. We teach this to the children starting very early, and it's important that we do this, but it's not just Christians that teach the children to be thankful. Everybody teaches the children to be thankful. To be thankful, to recognize uh, someone's generosity, and to be thankful for it is part of our natural righteousness. It's part of living in this world. But the Christian can go beyond giving thanks for good things and even give thanks for the bad things. What, for example, if, you know, you teach your children to be thankful for a gift. So say someone comes up and they, and they give the children, uh, something nice, like a cherry slushy or something like that. And you say, what do you say? And the kids say, thank you. But what if the guy comes up and gives the children a cup full of dead worms? Do you have to thank him for that? You see, natural thanks has to do with the goodness of the gift. But Christian thanksgiving has to do with the goodness of God who gives us all things. So the Christian, receiving everything from the hand of God, can look at the good and look at the bad and give thanks. Now this is a great and profound mystery of our Christian life. But one that we're invited over and over in the pages of Scripture to consider. Paul says, I've I've learned to be content and to give thanks in all things. And he goes on to list those things in being full and being hungry, being rested and having sleepless nights, having plenty and having nothing, having friends and being abandoned. So that in sickness and in health, in life and even in death, the Christian gives thanks to God, praising Him for everything. Because He has given us already our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that He who did not spare His only begotten Son but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not also together with Him give us all things? Everything in your life 
comes as a gift from God the Father. So you give thanks for it all. For sickness, for health, and even for sickness. For joy, and even for sorrow. For the good times, and even for the bad. In life and in death, the Lord is giving and the Lord is taking away. And still we thank Him. And still we bless His name. There was thanks for this leper to give for being healed, but there was thanks even more that Jesus looked upon him with kindness and forgave his sins. And the same is true for us. So let us give thanks to God who has given His only begotten Son. Let us give thanks to God who has not spared anything but given all for you. Let us give thanks to God who forgives you all of your sins. And everything else in this life from His love and His mercy and His kindness. May God the Holy Spirit fill our hearts with this thankfulness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.